All right, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reboot Review. As always, I'm Matt. And I'm Drew. And this is... This is our uh, mini-series where we take four Halloween horror classics or just Halloween horror films and we do the reboots and we find out if uh, they were worth bringing back. Now, I know we said we were going to do four films uh, this month, but unfortunately, because of life and schedules, we're only going to be doing three films. So if you're listening to this, this is our Halloween release and we are doing today the reboot to the 1985 Fright Night and we are doing the 2011 Fright Night. Johnson. Adam. You know Adam's missing, right? Right? Kids aren't coming to school. It happens all the time. I don't know if you're paying attention to roll call, but he's not the only one that's gone. You're nuts. This is my son, Charlie, and his girlfriend. Hi. So Jerry is our new neighbor. Hey. Hey. Now listen to me. We draft up all the disappearances. That's you right there in the center next to his house. I really hate to be the one to tell you this, but that guy, your neighbor? Jerry. Yeah, he's a vampire. That is a terrible vampire name, Jerry. Now, Drew, this was your first time, I believe, seeing the original 1985 Fright Night, right? This was my first time. Well, yes, this was my first time seeing the original. It was my second time seeing the reboot. So what'd you think? Of the original specifically? Or... Of the original specifically, like separate from the reboot. Okay. Um, uh, it was interesting. I was getting some When a Stranger Calls vibes yeah. where it's like 80s movies where I don't really know what some of the what some of the ideas were going for it's definitely an 80s movie for sure it feels very 80s so let's break down this plot real quick all right so charlie brewster he's your everyday american high school kid he's got a new neighbor turns out that new neighbor is going to be a vampire he's going to try to warn his friends and family about it try to get the cops involved no one's going to believe him and eventually after pushing this vampire to the limits uh because he just keeps meddling he keeps meddling He's going to have to face off against this vampire and like save his girlfriend or save his family, whatever. We just know that, you know, he's going to have to defeat him in some way. And that's essentially the plot of Fright Night. Classic David V. Goliath right there. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why it's called Fright Night is because there is a meta element too to both of these movies where there's a show within the movie called Fright Night where there is a supposed vampire slayer or like, you know, if this was werewolves, like your Van Helsing type. And uh, kind of vampire, kind of Dracula. Either way, it's just a, it's it's a human that that defeats demons and stuff. But he's obviously uh, Peter Vincent in both movies. He's like an actor. Um, they just kind of change his level of success uh, in the original and in the reboot. Uh, but yeah, they're going to team up and then they're going to fight the vampire. But that's, you know, he's on a show called Fright Night. So, yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about the original a little bit, uh, your thoughts about it. And, and I guess your your main character or your protagonist. Brewster is he's not a very likable character and you can you can chalk that up to it being the 80s but there were likable characters in the 80s indiana jones yeah imagine a fright night movie with indiana jones as the (laughs) aside from that what's the first scene of the movie it's him and his girlfriend hooking up the girlfriend is finally ready to swipe her v card and he is ignoring her to a like borderline comedic degree to, to spy on his neighbor who he believes is a vampire and this is the first scene of the movie so there's absolutely no reason why we would think why the audience would be tuned into why the brewster would think 
that his neighbor's a vampire. This is all explained after this scene happens. Well, they see that he sees them wheeling in a coffin in the opening scene. What he thinks is a coffin. What he thinks is a coffin. But also when when the first image is the Fright Night TV show that plays in the world of this movie. There is some quick setup, yes. Yes. But it's not playing for, a... for the world, but not for the Brewster. Yeah, he he's very like fixated on this. He's kind of easily distracted, even though he was just yell even though he was just yelling at her for not giving him any. But then throughout that, you know, she keeps trying like after she finally says, Okay, I'll do it, then she keeps trying and then he keeps going like no because he keeps getting deeper invested in the vampire. And yeah, he's an every he's a he's an eighties kid and you know if you're asking Are eighties kids that obsessed with vampires? No, but that's why the TV's playing in the beginning. But that's the thing, and we're I'm gonna jump a little bit ahead real quick. He is obsessed. He's not obsessed with vampires because he doesn't know anything about vampires. He has to have the idea of vampires explained to him. He's just obsessed with spying on his neighbor. I think he's like a paranoid kid. Like, I, I just think that like they're doing a very quick setup by having like the Fright Night TV show playing just on his TV in his bedroom. And then throughout the movie, he's always watching like horror movies. So I think he himself is a horror film like enthusiast and when he goes to evil and asks evil the rules about a vampire i think that's like that's how they're friends where they're both like obsessed with horror movies but i agree it's like lazy because if he was obsessed with horror movies he would just know this stuff already mm -hmm. right and it's like what does evil contribute besides just telling him those rules about vampires which are honestly pretty common sense we're running into the problem of uh not selma blair from when a stranger <laughs> calls where we have a protagonist who just has no personality until the plot develops enough around the vampire like 30 minutes in for us to start to become sympathetic. Yeah. But if this was something that you were watching on TV and you could just switch off, you would switch it off very early on. You have to commit 30 minutes to like have the plot unfold before the character becomes empathizable, if that's a word. I can see that perception of it for sure. But for me, the fact that it jumps like within the first like two minutes of the movie, he's already looking at the coffin like outside of his like house and we're already meeting who our uh, antagonist is, which is going to be Jerry Dandridge. <laughs> like, it, it just jumps in really fast. And then he's a very proactive character because right after he sees that, he starts investigating. So, yes, he doesn't have a personality in the sense of, like, how why is he doing what he's doing? But he is doing a lot from the get-go. And he never really changes until he kind of you know, is proven right until he gets kind of like Peter Vincent on board. Mm -hmm. um, but I agree with that. But I just think that's just because that's 80s characters. They were just kind of everyday American boys situation. It's like, come on, why doesn't anyone believe me? And like, you know, just a lot of complaining and stuff. But he, you know, he snoops around a lot and he doesn't he doesn't react to anything. He, you know, kind of initiates it. Yes, he's a very good I think tool for the plot is what you were looking for because he's simple and he's proactive and you can just kind of keep him whatever you want to call it like fucking with the dandridge mm -hmm. character jerry dandridge and we can compare him to anton yelchin later but just to keep kind of going through some of these we got our protagonist let's talk about our antagonist from yeah. 1980s and i like personally this jerry dandridge um he's the same actor from child's play and believe it or not tom holland who wrote and directed this movie he also wrote and directed child's play as well um but yeah i like uh Chris Sarandon playing this character. I I like uh obviously the little like nonchalantness in his performance. Like he never really loses his cool until like a cross is brought in or anything and he's very, you know, obviously like 80s suave with his Jerry curl kind of or his half Jerry curl. <laughs> and then he's got like the one creepy vampire finger and stuff. 
Um, but yeah, also, you know, he's kind of like a pedophile because he's a vampire and he's preying on young women. And then that, outside... just, that just makes him like edgy. Yeah. But overall, I just think his performance is pretty solid. Um, and then we have, you know, the rest of the remaining side characters, Peter Vincent. We got evil. Yeah. And then I, the, the only last thing I have to say is I actually like the actor that plays the Peter Vincent in the 1980s one. I like that he's a little bit older, that his like uh, ratings have like plummeted throughout the years and that he really hates this shtick that he's doing still. And it takes him a while to like really kind of believe uh, the Brewster and then get on his side. But we didn't talk about any of the female characters. There's two very important I'm doing air quotes right now. Female characters. Uh, one is set up to be the obvious prey, which is the single mother. <laughs> so it gives Brewster immediate, whatever you call it, investment in the threat of the vampire. And then you have also his girlfriend who he needs to protect. Well, to be honest, Amy is probably the only real threat because Jerry Dandridge only seduces young women you say jerry dandridge i just assume that's the actor's name because no, it's so like normal i know well that's what the joke is in the reboot it's like the vampire named jerry like, they, they do that in both of them the mom is really just there as a threat to being an invitation because she like is obviously going to be wooed by him but that's more so just to get him into the house uh the vampire well then also it's like he can like kill or threaten her instead of directly threatening yeah. the brewster yeah but yeah those are my thoughts on the movie obviously uh you disagree uh you don't really like this one a lot but it does have i mean just really quick just to get into the rotten tomato scores because this is going to be one of the one of the more different reboots that we do where the original and the reboot both both have pretty decent uh scores but the original 1985 has a 92% on rotten tomatoes a 92 92% and uh the reboot uh from 2011 has a 72% okay and i think it really just comes down to the screenplay i think there are a lot of things that are set up and then pay off in the original and they found new and clever ways to set up and pay off those things in the reboot but i don't think that takes anything away from the original it's too slow a burn for me i could see the premise working but it just takes its time a little bit too much and by the time we get to the climax i was like checked out all right well then if we start talking about the reboot now if that was oh i'll, I'll get really excited if we start talking about the reboot if the original was too much of a slow burn for you uh the reboot literally has a scene where since colin farrell's not going to get invited to the house <laughs> he's just going to blow up the house and just Don't have, to have an invitation if there is no house and, and you know what's interesting and you know because tom holland writes child's play and he writes fright night like the first child's play is also another very slow burn where the child is trying to tell people that the doll is real and nobody believes him. And then in Fright Night, Charlie Brewster is trying to tell people that he's a vampire or that his neighbor's a vampire and nobody believes him. So much so that you get scenes where like they go to his house. He drinks holy water. Like there's the original threat of Leave Me Alone where uh, Jerry Dandridge <laughs> comes into the house and he threatens Charlie. Like there's there's a lot of slower buildup that works. Whereas in, in the reboot... <laughs> It's just like, I think the the new Ed, he... uh mean he just, evil. Evil, yeah, but they don't call him evil in the reboot, I don't think. They just call him Ed. Uh, he just flat out tells her, like, your neighbor's a vampire. So, yeah, it's it, they, they get to the action, they get to the vampire a lot quicker. And not only that, the opening scene in the reboot, Colin Farrell attacking a family, like killing one of Ed and Charlie's friends. That's right? how you open the movie. Yeah, nowadays, if you don't trust your audience. Hey, got me invested. I'm just saying it's like such a modern day trope of we got to open the movie on a monster so you know it's a monster movie. It's not really a trope. It's just like, you know, common sense. You got to grab the attention. So then Ed obviously is going to go to Charlie. He's going to say, 
you know, our buddy's missing. We got to go check it out. But now this is all after we introduce the Brewster, who is Anton Yelchin. Yeah. Uh, this is all after we introduce his character. And when his character is not obsessed with vampires and like obsessively stalking his neighbors, he's actually like a pretty cool, relatable guy. And what's very nice about the reboot is that you're able to build a connection with him instead of just immediately having him just like be super either attention deprived or, or you know like short attention span or whatever he is in the original Ugh. and he's anton yelchin he definitely has maybe a better arc of starting as one person and then maybe turning to another by the end yes but when we meet anton yelchin's character he's not like that chill and cool he, we find out that he's actually like a dick kind of because he's abandoned his friends he hangs out with the cool crowd now mm -hmm. the dave franco's dave of the franco. world <laughs> and he's just very like dismissive of who he used to be and, and he explains that he had to change in order to get his girlfriend to like him but then she tells him at the end of the movie like i i always liked you because you were like a nerd or something like that so it, yeah it's like set up and pay off like a little bit better um but because of that then you know he's more of a reactionary character just to get into the plot as far as like an act once he's in the plot he's active but you know i this whole thing with like evil uh, this whole thing with like Ed being the one that has already like got videos of Jerry Dandridge as a vampire, it just cuts away all the slow burn of the original. And yeah, it fits better in this reboot, but I don't know. I prefer my slow burn. No, I'm totally fine with that because there's still plenty of other plot to happen. Yeah, so you've got him getting dragged in by his friend, which is all handled very well. I don't remember the specifics, but like the friend blackmails him and then the friend goes missing and then he like vanishes for like a really long time from the plot and then he comes back later as like one of the uh one of P oh what's the villain's name jerry dandridge one of uh jerry's thralls but then um well, they do once the anton yelchin is invested so i feel like that's like when the second act begins i feel like we're done with the first act you know when we uh when we meet original jerry dandridge he does a good job of like kind of keeping his privacy and he doesn't want to like be bothered and he kind of acts like a successful serial killer because he keeps to himself, he goes out in the night and grab, like lures women, then he brings them back, but he's got a very like calming demeanor, like because he wants to continue this. He wants to have longevity in like eating people. Whereas in Colin Farrell is just like a monster. Like there's a, there's a moment <laughs> where like Dave Franco and uh the actor from Modern Family, they're sitting in the car and they're just like smoking weed or something, and he just comes over and just like kills them both in like mm -hmm. the middle of the street. And it's you like okay, I, I guess he's not worried about that. And well, the other uh, thing, too, is he fucking instead of luring someone, it's the first victim we see in both movies, the girl. Yeah. Instead of luring a prostitute from like downtown to his place, he goes after the neighbor in the reboot. Yeah. Which is like you don't kill someone right next to where you live. Yeah. Um, and even when he meets uh, Charlie's mom, he's just like outside, like hammering something into the ground. And he's, well, he's like, doing like yard work. He's doing her. yard work, but he's already like flirting with her. Yeah. Well, they're obviously both attractive, so it's clear. In the 80s, it has to be established a little bit more because they're not like clearly attractive. But in this one, they're just like they're Colin Farrell and Tony Collette. Yeah. But he just plays like a generic monster. Like he kind of and they and they do bring this up because Ed says like he is Jaws. He is just out here to eat and attack and stuff. Yeah, it's a good illusion they make in the reboot that they don't have in the original. Oh, yeah. And then when Ed dies, he dies like underwater, yeah. kind of like Jaws by Colin For me, it's it's interesting that there's never a mention with like the police 
noticing how many people have gone missing or like any investigation because they do replace uh the well the kids are aware of it uh evil's aware of it sure but they're but then when like they try to call like there's never a scene where they try to call the cops and like they do it in the reboot don't they they don't do it in the reboot he calls the cops and they just show up on Saudi's porch and then he like woos them colin farrell he makes like some jokes and then they walk oh that's right they still do that they do that but if there was this many people gone missing in the proximity of this neighborhood, <laughs> it's funny that they there isn't a scene where the cops do investigate and like Charlie, because that could have been a more a more interesting scene in the 2011 version where they go into the house and they investigate what Colin Farrell's life is and we get to actually see it versus when Charlie goes in and he just sees like a barely moved in a house that already has this built-in like storage area behind his closet in his bedroom for like people for like people to like be trapped in. well the thing is like you understand when the cops are going over there like they're being like char like like it's called a uh, glamoured sure like it's a power that vampires have so it's not just like he's charming them it's like he's actually like charming them like like literally but when they do that scene it's they're just charlie's just what we don't really hear what he's saying to them so it's just such a quick back and forth yeah. that i didn't feel like that was that didn't come across it's not set up very well but that it's way. part of it whereas that could have been a whole scene where he goes into the house with the cops and then charlie gets to witness him wooing yeah. kind of the cops away or whatever Either way, they do not try to hide the fact that Colin Farrell is a monster or a vampire and he's just kind of like evil from the get-go or he's just kind of like, you know, threatening from the get-go. As opposed to what in the original? uh, Mysterious in the original Uh, that then turns into threatening. I think about that scene once again where Jerry breaks into Charlie's house and he gives him a warning. He goes, just stop now and I promise nothing bad will happen to you. Like, we don't got time for that in the reboot. No. Not in the reboot, we got to get him a sixer of Budweiser, and we got like... That's a good scene, though. They, it, it, that's the thing, is they're changing it, but they're... And they're not changing it for the better, but they're not making it worse. They're not making it worse, but it's just They're making like, it better for people like me with, like, shorter attention fans. Sure, but this is Reboot Reviewer, so we're going to compare and we're going to contrast. And yeah. Out of all the reboots... The reboot that, wins. Out of all the reboots that we've done, uh, this does have one of the better writers on it, because it's written by Marty Noxon, who's a acclaimed Buffy writer. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, they know their, they know their vampire stuff right there. I, I do like what's interesting is uh, we didn't really talk about this, the setting, mm-hmm. which is I don't, I don't even know where it takes place in the original. But in this one, in the reboot, it is very distinctly a suburb of Las Vegas. Yeah. And so what they do that I think is clever is they in very minor ways use the setting to their advantage with that suburb. But then at the same time, they use it uh, in developing Peter Vincent's character and making him a Vegas performer, which just like ups the ham. Because what, what was he exactly in the original? Like a TV In the host? original, he was a very successful like TV actor who whose character was Peter Viz- Vincent that like killed vampires. And then as he got older, uh, he almost became like, instead of just being an actor on a show, he started hosting like, oh, welcome back to Fright Night where we're going to show more episodes of stuff. Like he, he kind of became like a parody of himself. It's interesting that you say that they they give him a better arc in the reboot or like I disagree because in the original I say better arc just like better like setup and like connection to the setting. Sure. But the difference I think is that in the original he's fighting the fact that he is Peter Vincent the whole time and then it's not until he accepts the fact that vampires are real and then he actually has to become Peter Vincent. Mm-hmm. And then he fulfills that kind of quest. In the reboot 
He starts as Peter Vincent, but then they add in a backstory that Colin Farrell killed his parents. Hey, that's not bad. <laughs> and he's been in denial his whole life that vampires are, have existed, but somehow subconsciously he's bought all these artifacts. Because he knows that the threat he, he lurks that, out there. Exactly. And it does. It's Colin Farrell. Sure. But then when he actually like, he doesn't even get to kill Colin Farrell. Nobody helps. He, I know, but that would have been the thing no anton yelchin's got to do it anton yelchin's got to do it so it's weird because in the original all those artifacts that have been collected over time they give that to jerry dandridge and they kind of show you inside his house that he's like this antique collector and then you would assume because he's like 400 500 years old that these are things that he's gotten throughout history so it actually makes his character more interesting than colin farrell who's just got an empty house and like budweiser and apples everywhere and a tv well, and he's make- watching like He's watching like Real Housewives of yeah. like Jersey or something. It makes him um, more of like an animal. That's what they were going for. Sure. It was intentional. Sure. But then when they, so when you just give him that in the reboot, then they go, well, where are we going to put all these artifacts? Okay, we'll give them to Peter Vincent instead. So there's, it, there's like repeated things in this reboot, but they just give them to different characters. Now see that there's shit like that, that I, doesn't, I don't think really matters. Um, but then there's like other stuff where they change the character's motivation in the first act, like uh, with Brewster. I think that really strengthens the narrative and the character. So there's changes that work. There's changes that don't really matter. I don't think there are any changes that are like for the worse. They're not for the worse. I just, I find it uh, interesting what they decided to change. And I personally like the original a little bit more, but um, it's just like, you could have kept the same arc with Peter Vincent in, in the new one. You didn't have to give him this like last minute before we go into battle backstory that colin farrell killed his mom and dad but that's so 2011 <laughs> he created peter vincent you know what i mean yeah and it, it, they could have maybe played on that also to where colin farrell like mocks him he's like i gave you this character i gave you this success but yeah colin farrell doesn't even know who he does he well no he does because he says to him he's like you you got your eyes like your mother oh and yeah then he's like you got the same shot as your father when he misses and stuff we didn't talk about the uh truck scene where they're like running, like running away from Colin Farrell, all yeah. in their like Jeep or whatever. Well, that's right after, once again, he's like, okay, if you're not going to invite me in the house, I'm just going to blow my cover and I'm just going to blow up the house. Yeah. And then it's I'm gonna... smart. He is, he is like Jaws. And that's a good, that's a smart thing is they intentionally did that. They're like, this is going to be a different Jerry Dan- Dandruff. Yeah. This is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be like, and like an animal, like Jaws, yeah. because we're not doing Twilight. We're not going to do like he's like, you know, handsome, like seducing everyone. We're gonna do like he's gonna be hunting everyone. Yeah, and that's why the reboot is superior. Well, that there's a fun little wink in there because during that chase scene that you brought up, uh, after he stops the truck, another car pulls up, and who comes out of that car? It's Chris Sarandon, and he dies uh, by 2011. Jerry Dandridge. So that's cool. And then when Tony Collette, uh, after then the Chris Sarandon scene, Tony Collette takes one of her, and that's another thing just about like the Jane Brewster, the mom character. In the original, she kind of disappears after like the second act, and we never really see her again, like at all. Well, her purpose was served. Well, her purpose was served, but they give her a job that requires that, where she works like late night shifts. Yeah, so we can explain why she's never why around. Why she's never around? Um, I actually like Jane Brewster more in the reboot, played by Tony Collette, because. Yeah. Uh, the and this is probably just stupid, but they make her like a realtor, so she has all those signs with like the stakes already in her car. She's got stakes. <laughs> yeah, but then they do the same thing with her. With after that scene, uh, she just gets like I don't know. She gets like head trauma, KO'd, KO'd, and she gets put in the hospital mm-hmm. for the rest of the movie. Um, 
it's almost like yeah, it's, we'll give Tony Collette a little bit more stuff, but then eventually we just got to put her on a bed. But yeah, it's better. Well, it might be better uh, just uh, from a uh, entertainment standpoint, but as far as the box office is concerned, you know, this original this all that matters. <laughs> what are those numbers? Well, I, I think it's impressive because with the original, they only have a budget of like seven to nine million dollars. 79 7 to 9 million dollars and they end up getting like a 24.9 million dollar at the box office whereas in the reboot has a 30 million dollar budget and they only make 41 million at the box office (laughs) so well that's the thing is like there's no name recognition because i did not know this was i remember when this came out i did not know it was a reboot when you say name recognition do you mean just like fright night like the fact that it's like a reboot like it's like the marketing of it yeah well, because I feel like half of it is like we're trying to draw an audience, like fans of the original, right? I don't think so. Really, you think it's like a, almost a completely new thing? I don't think so. And I and the reason why is because even like the opening of the reboot, uh, where Fright Night is playing on the TV, it's not even playing on the TV in Charlie's house. It's playing on like a completely different house. So it's almost set up just as like a plot device than it is like a world building thing. Because in the original, when you open it up on the TV in Charlie's bedroom, you're establishing a character and a world. So this this original movie is going to be like about people that are already obsessed with like horror movies or the Halloween season or whatever. Whereas in the reboot, it's kind of like we're just going to tell a monster story. And you can even break this down to when Jerry Dandridge in, in both versions says, Welcome to Fright Night. Yeah. Right? Like when Jerry Dandridge finally says it in the original... He's already met Peter Vincent a couple times, like when they do the test and he tells him he's a big fan and all this kind of stuff. It's been entertaining. So then when they finally storm the castle at the end, they've, they're they going into a trap. They know it's going to be a trap. And there he is, Jerry Dandridge at the top of the stairs. And he says, you know, welcome to Fright Night. real whereas in the reboot uh colin farrell says it but then they put a demon voice on him when he says for real welcome to fright night for real and it's like (laughs) it's like that's what i'm talking about like there is a confidence in the 1985 version that it's contributed didn't have the technology i'm just saying like it's contributed because of the slow burn and that's a character moment where he's being very confident you don't have to put a scary voice on him when he's got a scary fingernail whereas they had to make it different from twilight i uh, in 2011 they made it more like twilight they didn't yeah they did because they made him like a pale sexy vampire that shops at hot topic and he's he's also a jaws It's it's a juxtaposition i'm just saying chris sarandon in the original looks more like a normal dude so there's confidence and subtlety in that. Eh, whatever. It's boring. I don't know. I think I think cheap like CGI and voice modification. That CGI is, is not cheap. I just <laughs> it's not good, but it's not cheap either. <laughs> the black eyes and like the the open jaw, like they do the open jaw in both versions, but in the '80s version, it's practical and it looks scarier. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about with this original or this reboot? Because I feel like. We we have more to say when it's like a bad movie, but both these movies I think are pretty solid. You obviously like the reboot more. I like the original more. But overall, this premise is fairly simple. Execution both times is is good, and it's just like little differences of what they're we pretty like substantial about differences. There's substantial differences, but they are in the from, same from boat. like a plot structure. Yeah, 
but they're in the same boat it's nothing it's nothing like crazy like in child's play where we're going to take the killer doll but we're going to give them a whole new like, like ai, AI yeah. kind of thing like this is you know like we said this is a vampire next door this is rear window i think it's as far removed as you can get without completely flipping or like i think it's as far away as you can get without adding a complete different gimmick on top of it yeah All right, so as always on this podcast, we ask three questions that lead to a final vote of is it worth bringing back? And the first question is, does it work as a reboot? I want to say yes. Uh, at the end of the day, what really just does it for me is the fact that it does do some changes, but nothing is like overwhelming, not like Child's Play. I don't know, remember what we said for Child's Play, but that would be one where it's kind of like towing the line. This one plays it kind of safe. I think it is like a, whatever you want to call it, a honest reboot. Or like, you know, it stays true to the source material. Essentially, I might jump on to what, to what your answer is. I mean, it is, and I agree that it does work as a reboot as well, but just barely. And I think, you know, th there's a reason why this movie is not that remembered or that successful financially. I mean, I know it's got 72% of Rotten Tomatoes, but this is not like a movie that I feel like people remember or know about. And I think it's because it's like a by-the-books horror film. Just because we watch the original and can spot the different things and the uniqueness in the reboot doesn't mean necessarily it's successful at it well, I, I think I, it's I, I think that that makes it true to the original because the original was also kind of forgotten no the original is a classic that's what i'm trying to say to you just because you don't like the original does not mean that the original is not like well received i'm not saying i didn't like it i'm saying i don't remember i like i never heard of it well a lot of people remember it mm -hmm. that's the thing and that's the reason why they brought it back and they rebooted it and i think that there are memorable scenes in that original because of the slow burnness of it uh that make you just think about it whereas in the 2011 version the only thing i remember or think about is anton yelchin i'm not thinking about colin farrell and his tight jeans and his leather like wrist bracelet you know what i mean um and i think that the reboot is serviceable and i think that's why it works as a reboot but i i it's like barely because the cgi is lame they kind of rush through things really fast and if you didn't have anton yelchin like leading the way i don't know if this movie would be as good no it definitely wouldn't exactly he was definitely the best cast exactly so it you know it, it works but it's very like that you know there's a lot of scenes where they kind of just say things and they blow past it really fast like you know peter vincent saying like yeah and he killed my mom and dad and it's like oh wow so you're just gonna bring this up right before you want to talk about that yeah peter? you, you want to talk about that david Tennant? nah let's just let's just get into it you know what i mean when peter vincent returns to help charlie in the original i understand why he does when peter vincent returns to help charlie in the reboot it feels very forced so I'll give it a check, but just like just barely it works as a reboot. And I'm only being generous because of Anton Yelchin. And that's all. It, yeah. Yeah. I give it a check, too. So it succeeds. So it's going to get two checks. So the next question is, is it enjoyable slash entertaining? Um, because this I'm going to go ahead and go first again. Yeah. Because this question isn't is it memorable? I can honestly say, yes, it is enjoyable slash entertaining. It is just not very memorable. I, I think. It is enjoyable slash entertaining, but I think for the wrong reasons. Okay, I can I can jive with that. It gets a check because once like Colin Farrell is just so ridiculous and creepy in the movie. 
intentional <laughs> intentionally and then it's also entertaining because like what is tony collette doing in this movie <laughs> well that's the thing is at least they like she does something relatively important she saves her son's life yeah and then she gets you know ko'd for and put in the sidelines for the rest of the movie yeah it, but like you know that's true to the original because she gets sidelined in the original is just in a lamer way well like something that should be enjoyable slash entertaining is david tennant's performance um but to be honest it's so flat in my opinion is it the is they it don't his, give is it his him... performance or is it the way the character's written well it's the way the character's written but he has nothing to go off of so he just plays the same like drunken sarcastic comment but like even when we get introduced to him where he's doing his performance on stage and then he's like everybody stop everybody stop like i need to work with some professionals when here when we introduce him yeah when we meet him um that whole scene like i've seen that scene a million times before where you meet like a big star and then you watch them like yell at everybody once but this they was 2011 it. It was i know cutting edge at the time i know but it's just so basic and boring there's nothing interesting about his character uh that's why they force in that whole before the third act where it's like you know colin farrell killed your parents they didn't trust the peter vincent ego of this so they just made it bigger by making him like a a chris angel type but then they don't even give him like fun dialogue to say he's always just telling like his girlfriend like shut up you bitch and blah blah it's, it's just kind of like flat so that could have been entertaining but it wasn't so those scenes were boring but Colin Farrell's entertaining because he's just hamming it up like crazy. So there's moments in the movie where the ham works. And then there's moments in the movie where it's like, well, what kind of movie are you making? Are you trying to make a straightforward horror comedy? Or are you trying to make this like ridiculous, like meta, like, you know, 2011 movie? So it's enjoyable slash entertaining, but only in bad ways. Like in the things that they maybe were trying to do seriously, but then it came off campy. So this just sounds like it's going to get like a big fat check with a big fat asterisk next to it. Yeah, probably. Uh, but that's probably going to lead into our final question. Uh, so that's going to get two checks. So the next one is, does it stand on its own? And I'll start off this one. And I think anything with Anton Yelchin in it needs to exist. <laughs> But unfortunately, this movie does not need to exist. Like this, when you're when you're you just contradicting. I know, but the movie like Anton Yelchin needs to exist, but this movie does not need to exist. They didn't need to make this, and they they just barely passed the skin of their teeth uh, when when they made this reboot. And honestly, it's like I said, it's not very successful. Like people don't remember this movie, and I do. It, it didn't do that well at the box office. And when we're watching it back to back, the original. It's definitely like there's things about it that are entertaining, but it doesn't need to exist. Like there's nothing. They're not bringing anything new to the table with this. I have to. I think I have to say yes, it does. So that's my answer right there. Lock it in. That 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 was it. That was it. Uh, a check for me. I think I think you're one of the few people that think that this reboot is better than the original. But besides that, if you're doing the math at home, that's going to be five checks, one X. So it is going to get one giant check. For worth bringing back. All right. But, but this is, it's weird because it's worth bringing back, but in my opinion, it's not. <laughs> All right. And that's going to be a wrap on Fright Night. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, make sure you like, subscribe, that you comment below, and uh, give us a follow. We're available on all streaming platforms wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can watch these episodes with video on YouTube. Um, but outside of that, you got anything else to add, Drew? This girl tonight, she's a handful. Women who look a certain way, they... <laughs> they need to be managed. It's true. All right, we'll see you guys next time.